And so we've been reading through the, the Gospel of Mark, and this week we're, we're heading into Mark chapter 4, uh, and it's verses 35 to 41. And it's a, pa- it's a passage entitled, Jesus Calms the Storm. Jesus Calms the Storm. And I wonder how many of us are coming here this morning uh, in the midst of a storm in life, or just off the back of storms, or we can see a storm approaching on the horizon. We think, oh my goodness, I would love to know what it looks like to calm storms when life is raging around us, when the waves are battering against our lives, when things just seem to be going wrong, left, right and centre, what does it look like to have the storm calmed? And so we're going to read this this morning. Um, I'd imagine that all of us have experienced storms like that. And in this passage today, we see Jesus and his disciples uh, navigate a real storm, a storm which threatens their lives, a storm which threatens to overcome them. And yet the way Jesus acts uh, in this storm is remarkable. And I think in this passage today, there's transformational power um, for us to redefine the storms in our lives. Storms are going to come. We can't avoid them. Uh, We can't escape them. But I think in this passage today, there's a way of living within the storm that helps us navigate the storms in a really healthy and exciting and excellent way. And so we're going to pursue that this morning. Um, So we're going to read along together. Um, It's Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 41. Jesus calms the storm. That day when evening came, he said to the disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind them, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up. Um, A squall is just a fancy word for a storm. Has anyone ever actually used the word squall to describe a storm before? No. A furious storm came up. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm, completely calm. He said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. To frame this passage a little bit, I guess we have to know uh, where Jesus and the disciples were coming from uh, and where they were going to on this boat journey. They've just spent some time on one side uh, of of the Sea of Galilee uh, preaching and teaching. Jesus has spent lots of time uh, speaking to thousands of people, seeing people healed, uh, seeing people cleansed, seeing people delivered from demons. He spent time going from town to town, place to place, and thousands of people uh, have come to see him. The word is spreading about him. Um, He's become really popular. People want to know what's going on what is this what is this guy doing why is he so special and so they're coming from this place of real busyness real uh, uh, intense uh, people following them everywhere clamoring for their time it's been really busy and so Jesus decides hey we need to get on a boat and just go for a wee while and just go somewhere a little quieter Where they're going to, we find out in the next chapter, is Jesus has got uh, an appointment with this man who is demon-possessed, a guy called Legion, and he's been terrorising his town for years and years, uh, frightening people. He lives in a graveyard, basically. He's been an outcast. And so where they're going to is Jesus is going to deliver this man from his demon possession. And actually, because of that, hundreds of people get to see the good news of the gospel in action through his delivery. So they're coming from busyness, and they're heading into uncomfortable and dangerous as they approach this man and so this stretch in the middle is their rest time almost between those two things it's the place between those two different things 
And actually, um, for the disciples, they're, they're probably feeling a bit peopled out. Um, they're probably feeling like, I can't take any more conversations right now. We've been with people forever. Can anyone empathize with that feeling of feeling a bit peopled out, that you just need a bit of your own space, just be in your own place? If you can't empathize with that, uh, you're probably a raging extrovert. And the reason that introverts hide in toilets at parties, um, that's probably what's going on there. <laughs> but they just need their own space. They need their own space. The Sea of Galilee as well, it's a, it's a bit of a, a, a sort of geographical wonder. It's a sea that sits 209 metres below sea level. So it's like a lake. They call it the Sea sometimes of Galilee. It's a lake that sits 209 metres below sea level. And it's surrounded on all sides by these mountains. So there's this cold air coming over the top of the mountains. But there's warm air circulating in the, at the at the the, the lake because it's sunk so low down below sea level it's warm and so as that cold air collides with the warm air it caused storms and things like that to, to pop up frequently and they would happen in an instant as the cold air and the hot air collided so it wasn't unusual for um, storms to happen in that place the thing about this one though is that uh, in amongst Jesus disciples they have fishermen seasoned experienced veteran fishermen so they know what a storm looks like they know how to navigate a storm. They'll have been in storms time and time again. But something about this storm frightens the life out of them, terrifies them, panics them. They, they go from being uh, pros who know what they're doing uh, to people running around like headless chickens thinking, what do we do? What do we do? The waves are coming. They're going to swamp us. You can almost see them all as they, they try and work out who's going to go and wake Jesus up. Jesus is sleeping. I can't believe he's sleeping. Well, one of us has to go and wake him up. Judas, you go and wake him up. He doesn't seem to like you anyway. You go and get him. You can almost see them having that conversation. They're worried. They're frightened. But they've missed something really important, though. And amongst this storm, and amongst the waves, and amongst the craziness of it all, Jesus is in the boat. Jesus is in the boat with them. They totally seem to miss the fact that Jesus is in the boat. They're so panicked and looking at what's around them that they miss the fact that Jesus is right there in the boat with them. They needed something more. They needed action. They needed him to do something. Do something with this storm, Jesus. Change it. Make it different. Take it away. Do something with it. You can't sleep during this storm. You have to do something. The Jesus is teaching them something different though. He's teaching them it's not about what they see him doing. It's about how much they know him. Do they really know him? Are they in his presence? Um, when I was younger, I lived in a place called Partick in Glasgow. Anyone ever been to Partick in Glasgow? Yes, a few people. Yep, that was my that was my home stomping ground. Uh, we had lots of fun there. Um, but Rangers Football Club used to train in Partick. They used to, there was a cricket club called the West of Scotland Cricket Club, and it had a big fence all around it, and they could lock the gates. And Rangers used to come along and play. Now, I was, I I'm going to say I am still a massive Rangers fan, but it's definitely dwindled over the last few years. It's been a tough few years for us as Rangers fans. But when I was younger, I was a massive Rangers fan, and so this day I went along. I was like, I'm going to go along. I'm going to wait outside the cricket club. I'm going to get the autographs uh, of my 
favourite players, I'm going to do that. And my favourite player at the time was a man called Brian Loudrup. Uh, he was a Danish man and he was a wizard. He was unbelievable. He came to Scottish football and, and basically made every other Scottish footballer look like they'd never played football in their life before. He was unbelievable. Even his own teammates, he would get to the, co would get to the corner and he would go to cross the ball in and the, the two strikers would still be at the halfway line. They were so far behind him. They would be like running to catch up and he'd be like checking the time on his watch and waiting. He was just unbelievable. He was an incredible footballer. And I really loved him. Had his name on the back of my shirt. I was really excited. So I thought, I'm going to go along. I'm going to meet Brian Loudrup. It's going to be amazing. So I waited outside for literally like an hour and a half. And they all came out at once. And nobody stopped. They just went out straight onto the team bus. Brian Loudrup walked straight past me, straight onto the team bus. And I was raging. I was absolutely gutted. I was like, this is my hero. Why did he not sign my autograph? And I cried about it quite a lot, actually, from that age. I think I was about nine or ten. I cried quite a lot. My mum and dad were trying to console me. They were like, you know, they were probably just busy. You know, they've probably got lots of things to do. They're professional footballers, you know. And I was like, he just doesn't care. He doesn't care about us. He doesn't care about the little man. And I was, I was raging about it. It took me a while to get over that. I think... What Jesus is demonstrating in this passage is a little bit similar to this because in that moment, Brian Lydrup's skill, his flair, all the goals he'd scored for Rangers, everything that he'd done meant nothing to me because he didn't stop to be with me for a moment. And I think that's what Jesus is teaching the disciples in this passage. He was saying the miracles, the healings, the deliverance, all of that stuff, it's not the important thing here. It's me. Be in my presence. Know me. Don't worry about the other stuff because if, you, uh, if you, your faith is based on what you see and not who you know, the moment you stop seeing the things happen, your faith stops. If your faith is based on miracles and things like that happening and deliverance, the moment that something like that doesn't happen, your faith has nothing to stand on. He's saying, be with me. It didn't matter that he was sleeping during the, the storm. It didn't matter that he wasn't running around, you know, stopping lightning bolts, hitting the boat or pushing waves back. That didn't matter. His presence on the boat was what mattered. How often when panic and stress and anxiety and fear take hold of us, do we forget that Jesus is in the boat with us? He's right here. We start running around, trying to fix things, do things, make things happen, change things. And actually Jesus is saying, just come and be with me. Come and be with me in the storm. Come and lie down with me, rest in the storm with me. The King of Kings, the creator of the universe, the man who invented weather systems was on the boat with them. The storm didn't matter because Jesus was there. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, it says this. Uh, he's, he's teaching them. He says, Obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus promised us is that he's always going to be in the boat. He doesn't promise that storms won't come. He doesn't promise that he'll squash every storm before it gets to us. He doesn't promise us uh, a really easy uh, and really uh, carefree life. We are promised his presence. That's the promise. He isn't going anywhere. But the problem is he's not doing anything in the disciples' eyes. They want him to be doing something. 
They want him to be saying something or doing something. I wonder how many of us can empathise with that feeling when the storms come in life, when it's raging around us and we just want Jesus to do something, take this away, move it somewhere else, fix it, do something with it. I think Jesus is trying to revolutionise the way we see storms in this passage. It's not always about fixing, moving, doing something. But actually the key to surviving the storm is clinging to the Saviour. The key to surviving a storm is clinging to our Saviour. We don't know, but I think the boat would have made it through the storm, regardless of whether Jesus had calmed the waves and told the wind to die down. Because it wasn't about that. The fact was Jesus was on the boat with them. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I wonder for us just now if there's any situations going on in our life that feel like storms where panic and fear and anxiety have got hold of the steering wheel in our lives and have started driving us in a different direction from the one we want to go. Our decisions, our responses, our words, our thoughts are being controlled by grip, by the grip of worry and fright. And we may be crying out to Jesus saying, Jesus, will you do something about this? Jesus, will you fix this? Jesus, will you do a miracle here? Jesus, will you do something? I just need to hear you. And actually Jesus is saying, I'm right here. Come and cling to me. I know this storm. I know you. I know your heart. Just come and be with me. I wonder what would change in our current situations if we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was right there with us in those tough moments, right beside us, in the boat, not going anywhere. I think what that means for us today is that we can hand our fears, our anxieties, our panics, our worries, our stresses over to Jesus in these moments, knowing that he's near, knowing that he's near and that he's there, knowing that he knows our hearts. He knows what we're feeling. He knows what's happening. He's aware of the storm going on around about us can hand him our pain and allow him to show us a way through the storm. We can hand him our panic and allow him to show us what that peace that passes understanding looks like in our situation. That means when everything in the world says you should be freaking out right now, you should be uh, panicking and worrying, Jesus is saying just come and be with me. Maybe for some of us right now we're thinking I need to just go and rest with Jesus for a bit in the midst of the storm. So if Jesus is in the storm with his disciples and he isn't dealing with it in the way that they're expecting them to deal with it, what is he doing then? What is the purpose of him allowing the storm story to play out the way that he's allowing it to play out with him sleeping downstairs while the storm is raging around them? We know that his moves and his actions are are planned and calculated. He knows what he's doing. He wants to take every opportunity to teach them about the kingdom. We know that this isn't an accidental storm that they've stumbled into, but this is something that he is intent on delivering uh, some change and transformation for the disciples in. And so what is it that he's doing? 
I think it's this. I think Jesus is redeeming the storm. It says he got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? The question that he asked the disciples suggests that he knew what was happening first and foremost. And second, that the disciples hadn't responded the way he'd hoped for. He asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? See, the disciples' eyes were fixed firmly on the storm. All they could see was the waves. All they could see was the water slowly gurgling into the boat. All they could see was the boat rocking from side to side. All they could feel was the rain driving against their faces as they battled to keep the boat on track. And Jesus is saying, guys, don't you see what's happening here? The waves and the wind will literally stop in one second if I ask them to. They will literally stop right now the moment I ask them to. It's not about the wind. It's not about the waves. I want to increase in you a passion for my presence and awareness that I'm here with you. You can't escape a storm, but you can exist in a storm. You can't escape a storm, but you can exist in a storm. Only Jesus can redeem a storm, though. He uses this storm as a way of teaching them something absolutely vital about himself because the reality is he's not going to be there physically with them forever. He's not going to be around with them right by their side physically forever. But he's teaching them that his presence is with them for good. It's not about what he's doing. It's about who he is. Um, I absolutely love the story. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of a man called Daryl Davis. Um, he's a blues musician from the US um, and he's black. And when he was 10 years old, he was the only black child in his scout group. Uh, and, and so they went on a parade through a park and people started pelting him uh, with bottles and rocks. And he didn't have a clue what was happening. He didn't have a clue why he was being picked out. Uh, and people were really hitting him and these scout leaders had to guide around about him. And that was a storm for him. That was a storm in that moment. It awakened him to a whole bunch of stuff in his life where he realized that he may have to live his life in fear sometimes, that there was people out there who didn't like him purely based on the color of his skin. It opened up the storm for him and that could have went two different ways for him. He could have said, well, I'll just I'll live a, a, a plain life. I'll keep my head down. I'll just keep out of trouble. I won't do anything and hopefully nobody will, will uh, ever say anything to me again. I'll just try and stay out of trouble as best I can. But it did something different for him. This storm caused him to question, why would someone hate me when they don't know who I am? That's the question he always says. He says, I couldn't understand that. Why would people hate me when they don't even know who I am? And so what he did was remarkable. He started actively seeking out members of the KKK and asking them to come out and have a conversation with them, have a lunch with them, have a dinner with them. And eventually he got through a bunch of people until he got to the, the grand, I think it's called the Grand Dragon of the KKK in, Mary, uh, in Mary, Mary, Maryland. Uh, and so he met with a guy who was basically the head of the KKK in Maryland and asked him that question, how can you hate me when you don't know who I am? And he started hanging out with this guy on a regular basis. Uh, and eventually that man left the KKK. Uh, he asked Daryl Davis to be uh, his child's godfather. Uh, it's the most incredible relationship. Um, they think He sat down and sort of worked it out. And he thinks he's directly responsible for 60 people leaving the Ku Klux Klan. And indirectly responsible for about 200 people leaving it behind. Instead of the storm defining him, he took an opportunity to redeem the storm to redeem that storm and cause something, to, something beautiful to happen as a result of it. 
And I think that Jesus is demonstrating the very same thing in this passage. Storms come. There's nothing we can do about that. Sometimes we make our own storms though. We do sometimes do things or say things or act in a way that causes a storm to to build up around about us. And we can definitely do stuff to avoid those storms. But some storms in life are unavoidable. They come and there's nothing we can do about that. But Jesus is demonstrating here that in him storms can be redeemed. Only he can do that. Only he can take something designed to destroy and to cause mayhem and turn it into something wonderful and something that is beautiful and something that brings life and joy to other people. Only he can do that. It doesn't mean the pain of the storm is any easier to deal with. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't grieve in the moments of real loss. But what it does mean is that Jesus is really there with us. And he can redeem our toughest moments. He can redeem our darkest hour. He can redeem those moments and cause something wonderful to happen. In this moment, the storm is striking fear into the heart of the disciples. They're running around. They're panicking. They're stressed. They're wondering, what on earth is going to happen? Are we going to die? It has the potential to be this real traumatic event for them. You know, some people say when their life flashes before their eyes, they they want to do everything to protect their life from that point forward. So they live really safe, really casual, really, really secure lives from that point forward. But in this moment of fear, Jesus nails a truth to their hearts that will cause them to be some of the most bold and courageous Christians that have ever lived. Christians who march happily to their death knowing that Jesus is going to be glorified. Christians who endure uh, extreme torture, who endure terms in prison, who are able to go through the craziest, most difficult storms because Jesus has planted a seed in their heart that says these storms, while they are rotten and rubbish right now, can be redeemed for something marvellous. And through the work of those 12 guys, those first 12 guys, there are billions of Christians around the world right now. Billions of people who have a relationship with Jesus. Billions of people who know a saviour because they redeemed that storm. They learned what it looked like to have Jesus redeem the storms in their lives. Not to have fear define them, but allow Jesus to redeem them. In 1 Peter chapter 1, it says this. Jesus, uh, Peter's talking about the inheritance that's waiting for us in heaven. Uh, but he goes on to say this. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of, the, of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Jesus redeems our storms by growing courage and love and devotion out of chaos he can bring purpose and direction and all he can develop our character to make us incredible living walking examples of his love and action on this earth he can fill us with his holy spirit to the point where we pour out in the lives of those around us We should never listen to anyone who tells us, just get over it, just deal with it, don't worry, you'll forget about this one day, it'll be gone soon. Pain is real, grief is real, but what is also real is a God who can take those things 
and turn them into the most incredible uh, light that shines into the lives of the people he's put around us. Rick Warren, um, an American pastor and author, says this, the things you wish were most removed from your life are often the very things that God is using to shape you and make you into the believer of character he wants you to be. So maybe for those of us who are, re- who are experiencing storms right now, a great question to ask the Lord would be, how are you redeeming this storm, Jesus? What good are you using this storm for? What can you draw out of this storm that will bless the lives of those around me? It's easy to spend our time asking why and to pin our hopes on a miraculous answer. And sometimes Jesus delivers that miraculous answer. Sometimes in his graciousness, he does step in in a miraculous way. But maybe the best question we can ask in the midst of the storm is what are you doing to redeem this storm, Jesus? Storms are sent to destroy, but Jesus is sent to redeem. And I think the final thing is this, as we head towards the end of this passage, what becomes clear um, is that while we can't construct our own escape from difficult situations, we can't uh, fix all the problems in the the world ourselves, we can't do uh, miraculous things by ourselves, Jesus is capable of miraculous and wonderful things. He can silence a storm and I think he silences, although that wasn't his aim for this moment, he wanted the disciples to learn uh, what his presence looked like and why his presence was important. In his graciousness, he still silences the storm for the disciples. And I think he uses that as a moment to undeniably display his divinity to them. In that moment, I think they really start to get for the first time that he is God. It says they were afraid of the storm, but it says they were terrified when Jesus did what he did they started to recognize we're not just in the presence of some guy here. We're not in the presence of a, a, a wonderful person. We're in the presence of God himself in human form. They got that. You see, the disciples had seen him healing crippled people and delivering people from demons. But the reality was around that time, there would have been lots of magicians and sorcerers who would have all been able to claim to do the same thing. This moment here where he silences the sea itself and tells the wind to be quiet, displays his divinity to them in a way that is undeniable. Where they were afraid of the storm, they were terrified because they realized they were in the presence of God. Jesus calms the storm and it says it was completely calm. Completely calm. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be in the midst of a raging storm one second and and glass calm waters the next second? It would have been unbelievable. Um, when I was at uni, I had a job in a sports shop that I absolutely loved. Uh, I got free football kits and free football boots, and it was just the best job I ever had. Well, maybe not the best job I ever had, but it was a really great job for when I was a student. Um, and part of what made it a great job was just there was a team of guys who were brilliant. We always had. Have, have you ever worked in a place where the, the workplace banter is just off the charts, and you absolutely love going in each day? The job itself becomes unimportant. You're more excited about getting to work to carry on the banter from the previous day. Well, that's what it was like in this place. We just had such good fun together we would always be prank calling each other uh, and phoning up and and like sending each other off on wild goose goose chasing it was brilliant and there was a guy in my team called Anthony and he was brilliant at impressions Uh, and one day uh, we were all gathered around the tills it was a bit quiet there wasn't really anyone in the shop Uh, and the boss I'm trying not to name the sports shop so that this can't be like more broadcast but the boss of our sports shop uh, had a thick bushy moustache like you know a moustache that you would be really jealous of like it comes out maybe about three inches from the face 
So he had a moustache like that and it was well trimmed. He would like brush it. He kept a wee comb in his pocket and you would see him brushing his moustache during the day. Anyway, one day there was hardly anyone in the shop and my friend Anthony, he uh, picked up a shoe polish brush uh, and put it on his face like a moustache and started doing an impression of our boss and he was wandering around fixing things and oh that doesn't look good enough and you're not working hard enough and then you know when those moments happen like he had his back and the boss came down the stairs and he was marching around doing this impression we were all like no stop just stop but he wasn't getting it at all and so he stood there for like a good 30 seconds watching Anthony march around pretending to be him and then like we all had stopped laughing so he realised that something had gone wrong so he just very slowly with the brush still on his face turned around and was like and he put it down and I've never seen anyone shrink so much into themselves he went bright red and he was like I'm I'm so sorry I'm so sorry I'm so sorry and he like in a moment like everything stopped and he was like there and he got taken away for a word in the manager's office I don't know what he said to him in that office but I don't think it was going to be an exciting conversation for him I think that the way Jesus silenced the storm looks a little bit like that interaction. You know, the storm is loud, it's crashing around, it's doing its thing, and then Jesus shows up, and in an instant, it ends. It's over, because Jesus has the authority. In the same way, my boss had the authority, and he was the authority figure, and when that authority came and silenced my friend, in the same way, Jesus turns up, And the storm has to be silent when he tells it to because he has the ultimate authority. It says that in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Jesus came to him and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Jesus has the power to silence storms. While he teaches us that his presence is enough, he has the power to silence storms. He has the power to do miraculous things. He has the ability to end the storm in its tracks. And that raises a bit of a difficult question for us because then the question is, why does he not do that all the time? Why does every storm not just get squashed before it gets to us? Why do we have to go through things? And the reality is, while Jesus has come and has died and has risen to life again, and in him we have freedom, we still live in a broken world. We still live in a world where sin exists. We're still waiting for that wonderful day when Jesus will come back again and redeem this whole earth and make everything new and make everything right and make us right with the Father and change the whole thing back to the way it was supposed to be originally. But in the meantime, we live in this now and not yet balance. We have some of the kingdom in Jesus, but we don't have the fullness of the kingdom yet. And so we live in a now and not yet place. John Wimber says, uh, we don't seek God's power, we seek his presence, his power, and everything else we need is always found in his presence. I think what that means is that because it's now and not yet, does that mean that we should stop praying for people? I don't think so. I think it means that we should press in with even more expectation because we know that God can. We might never be able to answer that question, why does it happen sometimes? Why does it not happen other times? But what we do know is sometimes it does. And so if you're needing something miraculously to change in your life just now, we would love to press in with you to see that happen. We would love to persist. I love that story that Anne shared earlier on of coming to God time and time and time again. And it wasn't the first time, it wasn't the second time, it wasn't the 50th time, it wasn't the 100th time. But God did something because he can miraculously (coughs) heal can miraculously change situations he wants us to be in his presence 
but it's in his presence we know his power. If we're just shouting out blindly to someone we don't know, saying, come and help me, I don't think that's the way it's designed to be. I think his power flows out of a place of being in his presence, of knowing him, of him knowing us, and of pursuing him in that way. And so I think for us today, what does that mean? I think it means that we don't just uh, cry out a prayer and then walk away. I don't think it means that we don't just uh, ask him for a list of stuff and then leave and then come back a couple of months later and be like, oh, none of the stuff in this list is fixed yet. I think it means that we, we pursue him, perseverance in the miraculous stuff that we need. We pray, we seek him, but as we're praying, we're not praying and leaving, we're praying and running into his arms. We're praying and pushing into his presence. We're praying and desperately seeking him to know him so that when his power is around, we know what's happening. We know that he's doing stuff. We expect the miraculous as we pursue his presence. Do we know him? Do we really know Jesus? Are we with him? Do we know that he's with us? That's the question he's asking of us in amongst the storm. I think Jesus wants to redefine our storms. I think for, for us, often storms define our lives. They define who we are and what we're about and how we interact with others. And I think in this passage, Jesus says, let me redefine your storm. Let me show you what it looks like to live in a storm and draw closer and closer to me in a way that makes the storm passable. Why don't we stand and we'll pray together.